Hey everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, my guest today is broadcasting all the way from Spain. She is 21 years old and studying both medicine and nutrition. Please welcome to the show, Mariana Fernandez. It's so nice to meet you, and I'm so sorry it took so long to get you on the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure to, to be talking with you today, Chefy G. I have been following your work for lots of years. Well, lots of years, two or three years, I started to follow you. And since then, I have met lots of plant-based uh, doctors, thanks to you. And I love your recipes, your sweet potatoes and <laughs> and everything you do so yeah i really love your content and, and you are for me a source of inspiration yeah well thank you well you're an inspiration too because first of all you're only 21 years old and my understanding is you went vegan when you were 15 can you tell our viewers why you did that well um my my story starts like uh 10 years ago when i was 11 because at that age, I was diagnosed with a Hodgkin lymphoma, wow. which is a type of, of, of cancer. And at that time, my mom, someone surgeon, was diagnosed with a breast cancer. So at that moment, I uh, I was receiving my chemotherapy, and and in that in in that period, I started to get interested in eating healthy. Because I wanted to be healthier, I wanted to prevent disease, I wanted to be uh, in good health. So I studied, I started to do my own research, but at that time I was just uh, 11 years old, so I didn't have like uh, a good knowledge about scientific evidence and how to interpret it. So I started to read books and and I started to, to change my diet towards a more plant-based diet and less processed diet. And when I was uh, 14 years old, I discovered Michael Greger and his fantastic book, How Not to Die. And I found that book, I read that book, and I started to see all the scientific studies that supported plant-based nutrition and in that moment i got introduced into science uh, evidence-based nutrition and i started to do my own research in PubMed, and i started to to learn how to interpret uh, scientific studies at that time i i i eliminated all the animal foods I was consuming. Uh, at that time, I, I was consuming a very low amount of animal foods, but I I turned vegan. I eliminated all of them, and and it's seven years since then. Uh, um, so I I turned to a whole foods, one hundred percent plant based diet, and I started to 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 read all the scientific studies that supported this lifestyle and diet. And I was so impressed that uh, it became my passion. And uh, I want, and the thing is that here in Spain, uh, the this plant-based movement is not very well known by doctors and health professionals, just because I don't know if, if they don't read the evidence, if they don't know how to interpret it, but it's not used as a tool for disease prevention and reversal. Instead, it is seen as a dietary pattern that can be chosen if you, for ethical reasons or just for, for environmental reasons, but it's not seen as a healthier option when evidence, uh, scientific evidence shows um, clearly that as the consumption of healthy plant foods increase, so decreases the incidence of chronic disease. So it's the dietary pattern that health professionals should be uh, advocating and it is not that a healthy plant-based diet a healthy vegan diet can be nutritionally complete of course but it is superior to omnivorous diets and this has been scientifically proven so this is something that that is not um, uh, I don't find uh, doctors in Spain that that know of this so I I um, I, I follow uh, American plant-based doctors. I follow uh, British plant-based doctors. I follow their works. I 
I'm constantly uh, reading scientific articles and um and and also follow the work of nutri of nutritionists, plant-based nutritionists from from the United States and so on. Uh, you know Neil Bernard, uh, Neil Bernard, Michael Greger, Dean Ornish, uh, Elphinstein are my inspiration. Also, of course, um, uh, other doctors such as um, Alan Alan Goldholmer, um, I mean, all the plant-based doctors you interview. Can I, ask, I don't mean to interrupt, but I, I don't want to forget that I want to ask you a little bit more about when you had the lymphoma. You yeah. you were 11 years old, right? Yeah. How, how did you have any symptoms? How was it diagnosed? And was your mother's breast cancer at the exact same time? So you both were undergoing treatment at the same time? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, my mom was diagnosed some months uh, earlier, just like three or four months, more or less. And she was receiving uh, her chemotherapy when I was diagnosed. So uh, we some uh, sometimes we we uh, we have at the same time uh, chemotherapy. We both have at the same time chemotherapy. And um, well, um, I yeah, I I diagnosed uh, my lymphoma because I one day I. I started to to realize that I had like a ganglia uh, uh, in my neck, so I it was like a, a little bit itchy and um, and but it was not very painful. But I I realized that something was there, and and because of that I decided I told that to my mom. And we decided to go to the pediatrician, and I have a um, echo. I, I don't know how it's called. Uh, echocardio, um, echocardiogram. Echo, no echocardiogram. No uh, echo. Normal echography. Echography. And uh, they saw that it was a ganglia that it could have. It, it, it could be a lymphoma, and and then I had like a. a more test scan test and CTA uh, scan test uh, and and yes it was a Hopkins lymphoma and I received my chemotherapy for some months and uh, at the end of the treatment I started to change my diet towards a more plant-based diet I reduced dramatically my animal consumption and my consumption of ultra processed foods and and since then uh, my treatment was finished and since then i haven't had any type of relapse and i'm okay so it it's great yeah right what was going through chemotherapy like in general and at, really at a, at a young age were you scared were there side effects how did you feel going through um, it well i must say that uh well my the first cycles of chemotherapy were like um, uh, were hard because I started to have a uh, lot of digestive issues. I was in pain. Uh, my stomach was very very painful, and I had terrible digestion. So they didn't know why it was, but um, but but at the end of the treatment, months later. I had a colonoscopy and it was seen that I had had a, some kind of inflammation in my gut uh, due to infection during chemotherapy. So maybe that's the reason why I have those um, that such a, a acute pain in that period. And I was also feeling like very tired. But it is true that um, when I started to change my diet, I started to feel much better. And my, and my stomach pains, uh, I started to change my diet at the end of the, more or less like in the, in the last week of my chemotherapy, in the last cycles. 
And then I changed my diet and I started to do daily exercise. And uh, my symptoms uh, improved dramatically because my, my digestive issues improved. And also I felt with lots of energy and I, I, and I, I was also experiencing uh, bone pain and, and this, that disappeared. And I started to do like lots of exercise, um, feeling like great and having like a normal life, even though I was undergoing chemotherapy. Um, when I finished, uh, well, that I, I felt with energy and, and, and well, and of, of course that at the first time when I was told I was going to have chemotherapy, I felt like a little bit, uh, scared because at that time I didn't know exactly what was chemotherapy and what I knew is that it was like a very hard treatment and I was gonna feel terrible but uh, it is true that once you process that um, and it wasn't extremely hard for me I I went through it and and I think that 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 it was like a trauma. I I knew I had to have it, and I was very optimistic. Wow! Did your mother change her diet as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it is true that at the beginning, my parents and even my my doctors also were like, uh, reluct. Um, they were not. They didn't want me to change my diet. They saw that they thought that a healthy diet was a diet composed of animal foods um, and and plant foods, but they weren't. They didn't know about plant-based nutrition and and the scientific all the scientific evidence that shows that is the optimal dietary pattern. But they didn't know of that. So at the beginning, it was very hard. It was very hard because I was very young. And and they thought that that my diet was not good, or or they didn't want me to 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 change my diet, and that's also the reason why I didn't start completely vegan until I was fourteen. Because when uh, uh, before that, my parents and my doctor were like um, like saying, no, you cannot abandon completely animal foods because you know, iron, protein, things like that. And I was like fed up with all those um, non-scientific arguments. But as I I started to 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 investigate more in plant-based nutrition, I started to know more about nutrition, all the scientific evidence. My mom, my parents started to realize that it was the diet the most uh, it was the best option we can, the best diet we can follow. And and when I turned vegan, in, when I was 14, 15 years old, um, my mom also turned vegan. And we are vegan since then. And we follow this lifestyle. And my mom right now uh, advocates for this, li- uh, for this diet because she has also experienced uh, a very... Um, she she feels great. Her disease is in control, and she she's in remission. So that's great. That's fabulous. What was I, I don't know what in Spain in general what the diet is here in the United States. We talk about the standard American diet. So what kind of foods were you and your mom eating before your cancers, and what kind of foods are you eating now? Okay, so. Um, here in Spain, most people follow like a Western dietary pattern, even though uh, the traditional dietary pattern here in Spain was the Mediterranean diet. Right now, people eat uh, lots of animal foods daily, like meat, chicken, uh, you know, processed foods like biscuits, uh, bars, pro- you know. <laughs> I uh pizza and cheese, lots of animal foods. People eat 
lot of animal foods. And that's something I see when I go to supermarket and I look at, at what people are choosing and I think, oh my God. And also if you look at scientific evidence that uh, scientific studies that, that look at what Spanish people eat, they have like a very high consumption of animal foods and processed foods and their consumption of, of plant foods and whole plant foods and processed plant foods, it's, it's slow. And in consequence, uh, the obesity rates and overweight rates are increasing here in Spain dramatically, diabetes and, and, and cancer. Um, but uh, the obesity problem is, um, is increasing um, each year and, and it's dramatic, yeah. So my diet was uh, a typical Western diet. I didn't um, eat vegetables. I didn't like it. I, I, didn't, I didn't like them. My diet consisted of meat, potatoes, dairy products, some processed foods. Um, uh, I didn't eat, uh, um, eat eggs because I'm allergic to eggs. But my dad was like very, um, it didn't have many, uh, lots of variety. It was like milk, some fruit, but but very little vegetables, almost no vegetables and potatoes, fish, meat and, and process, some processed foods. And that was my diet. And my mom, she used to eat more vegetables, but, uh, but not, a lot. I mean, where we ate animal foods in lunch and dinner, and in breakfast with dairy products and very typical Western dietary pattern. And well, when I changed my diet, it was like something. Uh, gra I, I gradually changed my diet, but and I started to eliminate all the processed foods to reduce my consumption of animal foods. And I started to include vegetables and nuts and, and legumes and whole grains and so on. And finally, when I was 15, I turned vegan. So since then my diet is 100% whole foods, plant-based diet. My diet consists of fruits, vegetables, uh, legumes, whole grains, no oil, no sugar added, no salt added, SOS free. And it is true that I include also nuts and avocados because they have, they are nutritious and, and they have a uh, lot of antioxidants. And, but it is true that as, as the calorie density is higher, they, the fat content is higher. It is true that I consume them in very small amounts as a condiment. I include them daily, but as a condiment because they they provide benefits, but you don't need a lot of, of, of that. With a small handful of nuts or just have an avocado or, a, or you know, uh, that's more than enough. So that's my diet, my diet, but the fruits, vegetables, legumes, whole grain and sweet potatoes, I eat those at Lilitum. And yeah, that that's my diet. Wow. Can you tell us like maybe what you eat in a day and do you exercise? Yeah, yeah. Well, I exercise. I exercise every day. I have, uh, I, I walk. I walk a lot every day, at least 10,000 steps a day, at least. And I also have like a uh, treadmill here at home. So I'm like Michael Greger. While I'm working with the computer, I have the, the, the treadmill, so that's great. And I also do like resistant training here at home. I have like a uh, mini trampoline, you know? Uh, uh, that's my exercise daily routine, walking, mini trampoline, some strength exercise at home. Yes. And my, what I eat in a day, you know? Well, in the morning, I have fruit, whole fruits, maybe two or three pieces of whole fruits. And I also have in a small bowl, I have some rolled oats, oatmeal uh, with flax, with flaxseed. 
um, later on uh, in lunch, I have normally, I always have like enormous uh, uh, plate of steamed vegetables, central vegetables, like lots of veggies, like broccoli or our jeans, courgette. Uh, butter noodle squash, whatever, vegetables, steamed vegetables, and I also have cooked legumes or cooked whole grains. I variety, uh, uh, normally cook legumes and other days cook grains such as quinoa or buckwheat, and I add to it some avocado, and and that's normally my the the structure of my daily lunch, and. Dinner consists of steamed vegetables again, and sweet potato, and and some fruit. That's wonderful. Did you want to share some slides and talk about something in particular? I know you actually said you published some research. I'm very curious, in your medical school or your in your nutrition program, is nutrition even talked about? Well, uh, in my, you know, I'm studying uh, both degrees. So in the medical degree, no. In nutrition is something that is not taught. That's we don't even we don't have uh, subjects about nutrition. We just have like one subject and that uh, it's called um, endocrinology and nutrition, but it's like a part of a subject, but um, the content that is taught about nutrition it's very, very little. So it's almost nothing. And so in the medical degree, no information. And as I'm also studying the, the degree in nutrition and dietetics, of course, then uh, we are taught much more information about nutrition. But I think that uh, they don't provide enough information about the, the potential of plant-based diets in the prevention and reversal of disease and sometimes they focus a lot on, on on the nutrients foods have, but not so much in the impact that each plant, uh, each food group has on disease risk and mortality. And I think that each, it, it would be better if, if this degree would focus more on the scientific evidence regarding the effects of foods on disease risk and prevention not just the nutritional components and and physiological functions which okay but we want to look at at the effect of food on heart and point yeah and so there's not much of a big vegan community in spain no well there are vegans there are people who follow plant-based diets but they don't advocate they don't uh they don't advocate this life this diet because of it being healthier but instead because it's more sustainable uh, for ethical reason which is also uh, true and i do also this because of that but we also have to say that it's healthier that the healthy omnivorous diets such as the Mediterranean diet and and all these dietary approaches that include animal foods and 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 and, and as I'm gonna uh, talk in the presentation a 100 percent plant-based diet has shown to be superior to other diets that also include plant foods a lot but still include animal foods. And uh, a a one hundred percent plant based has shown to be superior to that. And prospective cohort studies show that as the proportion of plant foods increases in the diet, the risk of cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes, and so on decreases. So there is a dose response relationship. Nice. Well, I'm, I'm, if you'd like to share your slides, I'd love to see your presentation. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm gonna uh, try to. That's okay. incredible that you've published research and you're only 21 years yeah, old. Yeah, I some months ago my first paper was published in Nutrition Reviews. Right now, I'm gonna 
So, so it also uh, along with the with the um, okay. I'm gonna try to. Uh, yeah, you want to click? There you go. I don't know if you you I I can see the zoom. I'm gonna. It said you started screen sharing, but it's just a black screen right now. Okay, so you can see right now. I can't see your slides. I, it says that you started sharing, but there's nothing up on the screen. Oh, it said that it's loading. Oh, there you go. Okay. Can you see the okay? I can see it. I can see your whole desktop, but yes, I can see it. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, my my first scientific article was published some months ago. It is called, well, later on we are going to see it also. Um, and yes, it was published in Nutrition Reviews. And, and in that paper, I talk about the impact of plant-based nutrition and healthy plant-based diets in diabetes treatment and prevention. And here in this presentation, um, can you see? Yes, hopefully I can see it perfectly. Okay. Well, in this presentation, I'm gonna try to describe the key points, some key points about the role of plant-based diet in the prevention and treatment of type two diabetes and pre-diabetes also. And um, and also I'm gonna show later on the, the scientific so uh, some of the parts of my scientific article so that uh, there you have all the scientific reference I'm gonna base right now um, and also uh, um, like a picture in which I show uh, uh, mechanisms by uh, by which a plant-based diet decreases the the risk uh, and improves type 2 diabetes. So let's start with, uh, first of all, we, we have to know a little bit about how blood glucose levels regulate. And this is crucial so as to understand how diet can reverse, prevent type 2 diabetes or can increase the risk of type 2 diabetes. So blood glucose levels is maintained by a balance between the endogenous glucose production and, and also the, uh, the glucose that we absorb from the diet. Carbohydrates provide glucose, so then we absorb them. And also depends our blood glucose levels depend not only on the endogenous production, not only on the carbohydrates we eat, but also on the rate of tissue glucose uptake. And uh, our liver, our skeletal muscle uptake glucose and all our tissues uptake glucose. So depending on, on the rate of the uptake, glucose will be higher or lower. Uh, how this is regulated? Well, um, Beta cell insulin secretion and skeletal uh, um, will enable uh, insulin will enable glucose to enter tissues, but also it's important the skeletal muscle and liver insulin sensitivity. It's not only important to produce insulin, but it's as important that that insulin works properly and can introduce that glucose adequately into the tissues. That is called insulin sensitivity. Well, what are normal blood glucose levels? Blood glucose levels range from 17 milligrams to 100 milligrams in the fast state. Uh, so, and in the postprandial period, uh, what are normal glucose levels? Well, less than 114 milligrams in the two hours after ingestion. When you undergo a oral glucose tolerance test, it is said that you have normal glucose tolerance if after the ingestion of a glucose load of 75 grams, uh, um, you have a glucose rise in blood that is inferior to 140 milligrams. That is considered 
normal glucose tolerance. So what happens when we uh, ingest, when we consume foods that have carbohydrates, those carbohydrates are degraded by digestive enzymes and then glucose can be absorbed. The, uh, as a result of glucose absorption, glucose uh, increases in the blood. The concentration of glucose increases in that postprandial period. But the thing is that if you have normal glucose tolerance, the rise uh, in glucose tolerance that you are going to experience will be less than uh, 114 milligrams. Glucose in the blood then is uh, uptaken by peripheral tissues. Uh, there are tissues that are uh, insulin sensitive, which are the skeletal muscle and the liver. And then uh, insulin enables that glucose to enter in them and that glucose will deposit in the liver and in the skeletal muscle as glycogen. And as glucose enters the tissues, glucose levels in the blood decreases and, and you have normal glucose levels. Well, in the fast, when you are fast, when you haven't consumed foods for, for eight hours or more, uh, you have adequate glucose levels because that glycogen that you have stored due to the consumption of carbohydrate-containing food, uh, that glycogen is, is stored in your tissues and it, is, it starts to be degraded in, in the liver and in the skeletal muscle. This process is called glycolysis and, and as a consequence, glucose are maintained and when those glycogen stores get depleted um liver start to produce the novel uh glucose and this is pro this process is of neoglucogenesis and then in the fast condition and in the postprandial conditions that's how glucose regulate so this is what has to to occur if you are helped what happens if you have glucose intolerance? Well, first of all, we should define what is glucose intolerance. Glucose intolerance includes impaired fasting glucose, impaired glucose tolerance, and diabetes. Well, impaired fasting glucose and impaired glucose tolerance some years ago were known as pre-diabetes. So it's, uh, these conditions are like uh, the previous uh, a, a, a condition of hyperglycemia, but it's not as um, it's not considered uh, diabetes, but almost. So it's like the previous step. And impaired fasting glucose uh, means that you have uh, blood glucose levels in the fast conditions, which are higher than 100. Impaired glucose tolerance is defined as blood glucose levels that are higher than 140 milligrams after a load of 75 grams of glucose or after the ingestion of a carbohydrate-containing meal. And we also, and that's what's with impaired fasting glucose and impaired glucose tolerance, as I said, is was considered received some years ago the name of pre-diabetes. And diabetes, there are a lot of types of diabetes, but the most uh, frequent ones are type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes. Uh, diabetes is diagnosed when your blood glucose in the fast state is superior to 126 milligrams. And, or, or if your blood glucose levels are higher than 200 200 milligrams after a 75 gluco grams glucose load or uh, after a random alpha glucose in the postprandial period after whatever milk consumption, if your glucose levels are higher than 200, that you have diabetes. Well, why this occurs? Why this, this hyperglycemia occurs? Well, the the underlying mechanism or of the underlying causes of 
diabetes or and prediabetes are impaired beta cell insulin secretion and also insulin resistance. In type 1 diabetes, what happens is that beta cells in the pancreas are destroyed and as a consequence, insulin is not produced in adequate amounts, insufficient amounts. In consequence, your blood glucose rise, they cannot enter the tissues. But in type of tube diabetes, which is the most frequent type of the, the most common type of diabetes, what happens is that insulin resistance occurs and, and, and in combination with impaired beta cell insulin secretion. So you have insulin resistance, your tissues don't respond to the action of insulin. So your beta cells have to produce like larger amounts of insulin. And there is a point in which your beta cell function cannot compensate for such high glucose levels due to, to insulin resistance. They cannot compensate that situation and they become and, and, and they start producing insufficient insulin and then diabetes is diagnosed. So the, the primary the the the, um, the first step in the pathogenesis of type 2 diabetes is insulin resistance and this leads to to in the long term to to impair beta cell insulin secretion and when both of them occur simultaneously diabetes is diagnosed so as i said insulin resistance is impaired is the is defined as impaired biological response of target tissues liver skeletal muscle adipose tissue to insulin stimulation they don't respond to insulin so glucose cannot enter into these tissues and in consequence glucose remains in the blood high causing problems. Uh, when an individual with glucose intolerance, prediabetes or diabetes, eats carbohydrate containing foods, they are going to experience dramatic increases in blood levels superior to 140 milligrams due to the beta cell, impaired beta cell insulin secretion and the insulin resistance. Well, we now know that, yes, when you consume carbohydrates, if you have uh, glucose intolerance, you are going to experience high glucose levels. But this does not mean that carbohydrate causes uh, glucose intolerance. This, this means that you have glucose intolerance, and, and then when you eat foods that contain glucose, as you are going to experience hyperglycemia because, because your insulin secretion is impaired and you have insulin resistance, but the, the culprit here are not carbohydrates. But here, the, the real causes of insulin resistance and, and impaired beta cell function, which are the risk factors for those, which are the hallmarks of type 2 diabetes. Well, we know that Overweight and obesity are the main risk factors for type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance and prediabetes. Why? Because when you are obese, when you are overweight, when you have that excess of body fat, you are in a lipotoxic state that causes insulin resistance because that, uh, that fat is, uh, is in the, um, uh, is, um, uh, leads to uh, when you have excess body fat, when you have a large adipose tissue, eventually adipose tissue becomes dysfunctional and as a result, fatty acids are released from the adipose tissue and they start to accumulate in other tissues such as the skeletal muscle, the liver, and this, uh, this deposition of fat, this in these tissues, which is called ectopic fat deposition, co uh, creates a state of lipotoxicity, lipotoxicity 
and and as a result, these tissues develop a um, um a strong insulin resistance. They don't risk the this accumulation of lipids in the liver, in the muscles, alters the insulin receptors, and as a consequence, they don't respond to insulin action. So overweight and obesity are the most important risk factors in type 2 diabetes, but also dietary factors. We know that animal protein consumption, high individuals who consume higher amount of animal protein in prospective studies, it's seen that they have a higher risk of type 2 diabetes and pre-diabetes. And we, we also know that high saturated fat rich diet also lead to lipotoxicity because those saturated fat, that saturated fat deposits in the liver, in the skeletal muscle, even and and also when you ingest that, uh, your uh, you experience a postprandial hypertriglyceridemia, which means that your the levels of saturated uh, fat and uh, of, of triglycerides containing saturated uh, fatty acids uh, are that concentration of triglyceride is increased in the blood, so you experience like a postprandial triglyceridemia, which impairs hemophilia function. And 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 later on, those triglycerides accumulate in the liver, in the skeletal muscle, and they those tissues experience uh, insulin resistance. And in many clinical trials. Uh, it has been seen how a, a, a high-fat diet can, in just some days, increase insulin sensitivity and lead to higher um, glucose levels after the ingestion of carbohydrates. You know, this saturated fat creates, leads to glucose intolerance, and as a consequence, when you eat carbohydrate food, you experience hyperglycemia. But the problem here is not with the carbohydrate-containing food, but with the foods that are causing the, the, the intolerance that are saturated, fat-rich foods and animal protein, which is constant, uh, which has been observed in cohort studies and in randomized control trials, as we are going to see. Also, red meat consumption and processed meat consumption has been linked to higher diabetes risk in many cohort studies. And what we also see is that in prospective cohort study is that um, compare uh, when consumption of eggs, dairy products, fish, and other types of meat, like poultry, uh, consume those animal protein sources, those animal foods, instead of plant protein sources, such as legumes, whole grains, nuts, increases the risk of type 2 diabetes. There are some cohort studies that don't see that, that, that animal foods such as dairy or eggs are associated with type 2 diabetes. There are some studies that don't find that association. But when we look at those studies, we see that those studies have not performed the substitution analysis, which means that they have they are not taking into account what people are consuming instead of eggs or dairy products or meat. So if if, if you don't uh, integrate the substitution analysis, maybe you don't see that association because uh, if people that consume less dairy products or less eggs consume more sugar-sweetened beverage or ultra-processed foods, uh, we are not going to see that those that population has a decreased risk of diabetes. But if, it's, if instead uh, they consume plant foods, they are going to have a decreased risk. So we have to look at those prospective cohort studies that have integrated the substitution analysis. And those studies show that replacing plant uh, animal food with plant protein sources, legumes or game, that leads to a significant reduction in the risk of type 2 diabetes. And also the risk of cardiovascular disease, cancer, all cause-specific and all-cause mortality. Um, also, uh, 
cohort studies show that sugar-sweetened beverage are associated with greater risk of diabetes, of type 2 diabetes, and also the consumption of ultra-processed foods. Well, lots of biological mechanisms can, um, can explain these relationships, this association that we have discussed. For example, as I told uh, previously, uh, animal foods and processed food have a high content in saturated fats. And uh, saturated fats in clinical trials have shown consumption of a high saturated fat diet uh, induces changes in microbiota and gut microbiota. And as a result, um, there, uh, there is like a passage of, of a component of the bacteria that is called the LPS, which is lipopolysaccharide, that uh, this component of gram negative bacteria um, translocs and it, it, um, it goes through the intestinal barrier and it reaches systemic circulation. In this process, uh, um, immune cells within the intestinal barrier start releasing cytokines and they um, induce an, an, an inflammatory response is created and LPS concentrations in the blood increases and this state of inflammation is called metabolic endotoxemia. Well, lots of clinical trials have shown that consumption of a high of a of a diet rich in saturated fat in animal foods compared with a plant-based diet rich in fiber uh, induced that metabolic endotoxemia leading to higher systemic inflammation, higher levels of LPS, and these microbiota changes which are correlated with this increase in inflammation. Apart from that, as I discussed earlier, saturated fats uh, accumulate in the liver and in the skeletal muscle and has shown compared to low-fat diets to uh, lead to a lipotoxic states that result in increased insulin resistance and, and, and higher blood glucose levels uh, after consumption of carbohydrates. And also saturated fat can increase oxidative, can lead to, uh, lead to oxidative stress, which is particularly harmful to beta cells. Well, we also have limiron, which is found in red processed meat. And well, the, there, are lot, uh, there are cohort studies that show that increased hemiron consumption is consistently associated with higher risk of diabetes. And also, hemiron is particularly toxic for the diabetic patient, and in fact, higher levels of iron in the blood, higher ferritin values in the blood are consistently increased with, uh, we are associated with uh, increased risk of type 2 diabetes. And, and this has also been shown in Mendelian randomization studies, which can establish a causal relation. So we know that the causal relation between we know that uh, the, the, the relation between hemiron and type 2 diabetes is causal. Um, also, advanced glycation and products which uh, induce inflammation, induce oxidative stress. So, eight are found in animal foods, especially red meats, chicken, also eggs, fish. Animal foods are are the, the 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 food sources with uh, the the foods that contain the highest content in, in advanced location of products, especially when they are cooked. When they are cooked, well, when they are raw, they still have age, but when they they get cooked, their uh, their content increases dramatically. So this uh, age induces oxidative stress, inflammation, and in clinical trials higher um, age consumption has shown to impair uh, glucose, uh, glucose levels compared to a low age diet, such as a plant-based diet. A plant-based diet, as it doesn't include uh, animal foods, um, it has a much lower content in age. And this 
seems to, to benefit that glucose metabolism. Well, also uh, animal protein, uh, the, the protein we find in animal foods uh, has, uh, it, it's, uh, has a high proportion in branch-change amino acids, in essential amino acids, and this amino acid has been associated in cohort studies with increased risk of developing type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance. And also uh, in some clinical trials, uh, restriction of those uh, amino acids in the diet results in greater insulin sensitivity and um, a better cardiometabolic control. And uh, well, there seems to be a link between brand change amino acids and type 2 diabetes. Also dietary cholesterol. Increased dietary cholesterol has been, dietary cholesterol is, um, uh, is uh, animal foods are the only foods that contain dietary cholesterol. And dietary cholesterol consumption has been also in, in cohort studies associated with increased risk of type 2 diabetes. And, and well, also we have trans fats, which are found in processed foods and also in in in, in in animal foods. Animal foods also contain natural trans fats and 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 pollutants, pollutants like dioxins and mercury and, and all these pollutants are, have been also associated with greater risk of type 2 diabetes. Well, um, we now have, uh, we all know about many dietary approaches that are used for, for type 2 diabetes, such as the high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet, like the ketogenic diet. We also have high-protein, low-carbohydrate diets, low-glycemic and low-glycemic loads diet. Also, like, uh, this has been very, this has become very popular in the internet, like, all these food combinations methods that in which carbohydrate-rich foods are combined with fats, protein, and things like that, so to retard the absorption of carbohydrates and therefore glucose levels are lower in the postprandial period. And also, uh, some studies have been carried out with using like the personal diets, diets by addition of postprandial glucose response. And well, these popular dietary strategies for the treatment of type 2 diabetes, it is true that these strategies can lead to lower blood glucose levels. But it is true that high blood glucose levels as a result of prediabetes of type 2 diabetes is associated with higher risk of type of cardiovascular disease uh, and mortality. Yeah, that's true. But this does not mean that every approach that lowers blood glucose levels will result in decreased mortality or decreased diabetes risk or decreased cardiovascular risk because that dietary approach may lower blood glucose level, but uh, mm, increase the risk of, of disease by other multiple mechanisms such as increasing insulin resistance, altering blood lipids, increasing inflammation, and in, in, in the long-term results in, in greater risk of, of disease and, uh, and mortality. So the problem with these strategies is that they focus on the postprandial blood glucose response each food or meal cause but do not take into consideration the impact of that food on other cardiometabolic risk factors such as insulin resistance and don't take into account the effect of that food on the risk of disease and mortality. So, for example, we have the low-carbohydrate diets that they lead to lower blood glucose levels, of course, because if you don't uh, if you restrict the amount of carbohydrates, which are the food components that provide glucose, if you restrict that in your diet, of course, that as the entry of glucose is 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 this meat is lower, your your you are gonna absorb less glucose, and as a consequence, your blood glucose levels are gonna be lower. But this carbohydrate, this low carbohydrate diet, high in animal protein, 
and fat increase insulin resistance, as we have seen. So they promote the underlying mechanism of diabetes. So when you follow them, you, you think that your diabetes is better because your blood glucose are lower, yeah. But what happens? But but this this lower blood glucose level are not occurring due to their to to improve insulin sensitivity and beta cell function. No, they are improving <laughs> because you are not ingesting carbohydrate. But once you include carbohydrate, you are gonna see that you are still a diabetic and you still have that intolerance. So what you want with your diet is you is to decrease your insulin resistance, is to improve your 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 beta cell function. And ketogenic diets and low fat and high fat, high animal protein diets worsen those parameters, which has been observed in clinical trials. Also, high diets that are high in animal foods and, and fat foods, uh, saturated fat foods, Puts uh, rich in saturated fat, to say, increase the risk of type 2 diabetes, uh, cardiovascular disease, cause specific and all cause mortality. Well, we also have the low glycemic index and diet, which is a very popular approach. So, so people try to choose like low, low glycemic foods because these foods induces a lower postprandial blood glucose response, but as mentioned before, this doesn't mean that this food is going to be necessarily healthier because there are many foods that cause a low glycemic response but increases the risk of disease and mortality compared to other foods that may cause a higher glucose response. We have the example of red meat. Red meat increases the risk of diabetes even though it is considered a low glycemic food. For example, carbohydrate-rich whole plant foods such as whole grains, legumes, uh, are, have a higher glycemic index than animal foods. However, replacing animal foods with whole grains and or legumes is associated with lower risk of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancer, and mortality. And also, this approach that I've that has appeared like to some years ago, which is called like the personalized diet by prediction of postprandial blood glucose response. Well, it is true that a food or uh, this these approaches well choose the foods that in a particular individual cause um, a low glycemic response. However, a food or meal whose ingestions produce a lower postprandial blood glucose response in an individual does not necessarily mean that it is healthier, but because as discussed previously, it can worsen other biomarkers and increase the risk of diseases and mortality. So what's the optimal diet for the for preventing and treating diabetes? Well, the healthy plant-based diet, also known as a whole foods plant-based diet, which refers to a dietary pattern that excludes animal foods and processed foods and instead focus on unprocessed plant food, that is fruits, vegetables, whole grain, nuts, flowers, and legumes. Well, why I'm saying this? I'm saying this because randomized control trials show that a healthy plant-based diet improves cardiometabolic parameters, that is blood glucose, fasting blood glucose, glycosylated uh, hemoglobin, Total and total and LDL cholesterol, insulin resistance. Uh, it reduces body fat levels and inflammation levels compared with other healthy diets, healthy omnivorous diets such as the Mediterranean diet. That that has been observed in, in clinical trials that a healthy diet improves greater dose biomarkers than other healthy diets that contain a small amount of animal food. Also, we know that uh, randomized control trials show that replacing animal protein sources, that is meat, eggs, fish, or dairy products, if you replace that in your diet with plant sources of protein, legumes, nuts, soy, that leads to an improvement in cardiometabolic on the metabolic parameters that I have previously mentioned, blood glucose, and like oscillated hemoglobin, total and LDL cholesterol, 
in individuals with or without diabetes. Also, prospective cohort study shows that higher adherence to a healthy plant-based diet lowers the risk of type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, various types of cancer, including breast, prostate, digestive system, lung. Also, chronic lowers the risk of chronic disease. It's associated with lower risk of the stroke, cause-specific, and all-cause mortality. And also, prospective cohort studies show that replacing animal protein sources, uh, meat, eggs, dairy, fish, with plant sources of protein, legumes, nuts, that results in a decrease in the risk of type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancer, cause-specific, and all-cause mortality. And well, and those were my, 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 my slides. And here I have the paper that has been published some months ago in which I talk about the potential of a healthy plant-based diet in type 2 diabetes. And in this paper, you can find, it is published in the, in the nutrition reviews. And in this, uh, in this review, you can find, uh, in this, in my article, you can find all the scientific reference in which I have um, based and during this uh, during this talk, all the scientific studies that I have mentioned are uh, the reference is, is is here. So I they are at the end of the of the document. You can find like in the article here. You have like all the it's more than two hundred reference uh, you have there you have everything that all is the the scientific studies please make sure you give me an exact link to it and i'll put it in what's called the show notes yes okay. it is true that that so as to have access to the complete article you need to be subscribed to the journal because scientific journal work in that way but i also have research gate so if somebody is particularly interested in the article, they can write me and and yeah, and I can see how we can share. But the thing is that um that was uh, there are many mechanisms as I explained also in the article and I also in a uh, in a I'm gonna I uh, there are lots of mechanisms as I explained in the article. Well I'm gonna uh Wow, you know, you're you're going to be a great doctor now. In Spain, do you become like a general practitioner or are you going to specialize in a certain type of medicine? Well, you can specialize in a certain type of medicine, but the thing is that the medical specialties don't include in that um, you can specialize in, in family medicine or digestive or cancer, oncology, cardiovascular, but the thing is that those specialties don't um, habilitate you to prescribe diet. So as to be able to prescribe diets and tell people what they should eat, you have the, to study the nutrition degree. And that's, and that's what, you, what, that's what you're doing. doing. Yeah. Exactly, because I can specialize maybe in ophthalmology or well, in ophthalmology, well, but maybe imagine endocrinology or or uh, internal medicine or or oncology, but with that speciality, I'm gonna be able to prescribe medicines uh, to to those patients, to patients having that type of disease. I'm gonna be able to to offer them a medical treatment, but the nutritional treatment of those diseases is uh, is something that is in charge. Uh, of, of the nutritionist, of the dietitian. And I thought that for me, it was better to have the medical degree and the nutrition degree instead of a medical specialty. Because what I want to do is to help people help healthy and, and people with disease help, uh, help them introduce uh, dietary changes that can prevent disease and reverse disease or at least improve it. That's amazing. Your English is wonderful. When did you learn it? Well, I learned it by myself. I started to study it. When when I was diagnosed with the lymphoma, I 
I became like, uh, I, I said, well, I don't know why, but I have learning voice because this is going to be great for my future. So I started to do to go to academies, to English academies, and I started to get my certifications in English, which is, I have the C2 Cambridge certification, which is a professorship, which means that I have the highest certification I can have in English, and uh, at least in the Cambridge system. So I started to study a lot of English when I was 11, and, and, and when I was 15, 16 years old, I obtained my professor's certificate and I have learned it by myself, just studying, going to academies, watching videos, and I haven't been in, in United States or 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 England or whatever, I haven't been abroad. And and thanks to to to, to videos, uh, studying a lot, academies, I, I learned English and right now I don't have to study English, I just read scientific articles in English, I watch your videos in English, and, and my level of English is maintained without problem. Amazing. Do you, do you, where, are you going to practice medicine in Spain, or would you like to come to the United States? Well, uh, I don't know. If I have here opportunities, I would stay here. But if not, I, I would have to, to go to the United States, because here, as I told you, the plant-based movement is not very advanced. And I don't know if my approach is gonna, if I'm gonna be able to find a job or, you know, and sometimes I say, well, if things don't go well here, maybe I have to go abroad. But um, I would like to stay here and to be able to 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 practice this plant-based medicine here in Spain. Uh, but it is true that I would dream to, I would like to go to California, meet you, and go to all your or all the conference that lifestyle doctors organize every year, and and that's my dream. And to me, to meet all of you in person because for me you are a source of inspiration, and I would like to go. But you know, these years I have been like very busy with all these studies and the both degrees, but I'm trying to 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 attend to those conferences in the next year or whatever so that I can meet you and and I would like also to visit the United States so as to try the Hawaiian sweet potatoes and and because <laughs> here in Spain here in Spain it's very very difficult to find purple sweet potatoes which are wow. my favorite well, you, you, you come here and maybe you can even take a visit to the True North Health Center yeah, yeah, that could be like a, a dream come true for yeah, me. Well, I, I hope to meet you. You are very inspirational. And if people want to learn more about you or follow you, where should we send them? I know you have a YouTube channel. Well, but my YouTube channel, the problem is that right now I'm not like publishing videos there regularly because I'm more focused on the medical degree, the nutrition degree, and also on publishing scientific articles because I have also made other ones that are now being peer reviewed, they are in the peer review process. Uh, one about breast cancer and plant-based diets and more. So I'm focused on, on producing scientific articles. So they can follow my my scientific uh, um, the scientific my scientific um, production and they can follow me in research day. Uh, if they uh, if they Mariana um, uh, Fernandez-Pigares and, and in ResearchGate, they can follow my, my work and also in, in LinkedIn, uh, they can find me, but uh, my articles and so on, I probably, I, I put them in the ResearchGate. Well, it has been a pleasure meeting you. Thank you for being on the show and maybe you'll become like the Dr. McDougall of Spain one day. <laughs> I I hope to to introduce this this approach in Spain and I hope that things improve. Yeah. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.